What I'd like to share with you today is that God's better plan, there is a more excellent way. And every time God has a, quote, rule, guideline for us, it's always because he knows we're being robbed of the best when we don't do it his way, and we, he wants more for us. Think about with your children when they don't, haven't wanted to do what you wanted them to do, when you knew it would be such a blessing and such a wonderful thing for them that they just would, but they won't. That's God's heart toward us. So we're going to explore today why we're afraid to invite others into the parts of our lives that are difficult, that aren't working so well. And we're going to look at two main areas. One of them is um, our failures, where we've done it wrong, where we've made mistakes, where we've been sinful, or it may have just been a mistake that was just kind of dumb. It wasn't wrong. It just wasn't a good, good decision. And then the second area is going to be the pain we deal with in our lives. There's a lot of things that happen to us that hurt, that leave us damaged, but we don't want to tell them, talk about them because they, they feel bad for us to hurt, the hurt we have, but they also just don't feel like we're safe to do it. So we're going to look at the feelings that drive that and the responses that we could do and maybe how we could change those things. Okay? All right. When we think about what are the two main feelings, you know, I should have turned this on already, I think. Ha, ah, I knew I'd do this wrong. One of the things I really was thankful about this morning when I was thinking about doing this is that I love the way we're a family and we're here together and nothing has to be perfect. Okay, so here, I could have been using this all along. <laughs> so we're, we, the one first feeling is shame. If I give people the truth about me, they're going to think I'm bad and I'll, and I'll feel all this shame about it. And then the second feeling is... Okay, they'll, they'll judge me and they'll reject me. Oh, oh, I haven't changed. So first of all, it's shame, and they will judge me. The second is they'll reject me. They won't be my friend anymore, or they won't let me come to this, or they won't want me to do that. The third one is they'll look down on me. I'm inferior. I'm not as good as you are. You're better. And that's, that's maybe that's the person themselves' problem, but it's actually going to make me feel bad. And the fourth one is they might actually go tell somebody else how bad I am, and then I'd have even more shame. So shame drives us to not be honest. Now, the second thing that drives us is fear. They're really not going to get it. I could tell them my, my heart story about what's going on that isn't my fault, but they're not going to hear me. Or they will just minimize my experience. They'll say, oh, well, not too good, not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Or, there's a lot of these things. They will just quote scripture at me. You know, I personally have an anxiety disorder that I take medication for. And that do not be anxious for anything could be used as a weapon to tell me that I shouldn't be doing that. And that I'm really encouraging people all over my, con my community to, I'm letting them know that I, I'm on medication and it helps and I'm a retired psychologist. Okay. Uh, they will just give me platitudes. You know, I think of things like when the harder things that happen to you, the more God can make you better. Uh, in the middle of that, that doesn't feel all that good. It'll just make you stronger. Or they'll tell you, oh, let's just pray about that, which is not 
a bad thing, obviously. If we're in hurting or pain or sorrow, we want to be prayed with, but not in the way that just says, it'll make it fine. It'll be okay if you just do it this way. Okay? Um, and uh, there's actually also a cultural thing that goes along with it. How many of you, in, think, you don't have to raise your hand, just think about it, were in some way taught in your family that we weren't supposed to share family business with other people? Or we weren't supposed to tell family secrets? I'll give you a, a, a kind of a dark example. So Uncle John went to jail because he sexually abused a, a, a kid when he was a teacher. Now, that's not the thing, kind of thing your family wanted people to know. But what if it affected you and hurt you and you needed to talk about it? So sometimes we're just, we have created cultures in our family and in other places of just keeping secrets because we don't want to deal with all that. So first we're going to look at what are we losing by not being more open? Because if, it, if we weren't losing something, if it wasn't hurting us, God would not be interested in having us change because he always wants the best for us. But it is not the best for us, okay? And then secondly, we're going to look at some ways, some behaviors, some practices we can institute in our own lives to help us get that deeper and more meaningful blessing, okay? So, and this is God's scripture about it that I really liked. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So clearly we're not saying don't pray for someone who's in a difficult situation, but don't just throw it at them as something that's going to make it better, all right? We'll talk about that some more later. Okay. Um, there's two seasons of our life that we're going to talk about in terms of time perspective as well. They're the things that are going on with us right now that feel bad, and we need help right now. For example, my child is failing in school, or I just found out this is going on. You know, it's right now, and I need help. And then the second major group of those things is what's happened to me in the past. Uh, what things have gone on that maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, but they were failures. And somehow, if I allowed myself to share that failure with you, what I learned from it, uh, what God did in it, that might actually help and encourage you. So every time we don't share either about something now, we lose the opportunity of getting help. And when we don't share about something that happened to us in the past, we may be robbing someone else of getting the opportunity to be helped. Okay. So... We don't share our current situations because we, we do not want, we're afraid we won't get the help we need. Then we, oh, excuse me, when we don't share our current situation, we don't get the help we need. And that was beautifully um, done with your skit, Barbara. You wanted, you needed help, but you weren't, in the skit, you weren't telling people. So all these people who loved Barbara uh, couldn't help her. So then she continued to feel alone and hopeless. Um, oftentimes, also if it's something that we're actually doing, uh, someone in our life that we love may continue to be collateral damage. For example, if I'm behaving in some way that's not helpful, that I need help for, the people around me are also suffering. And 
in that situation, the skit, Barbara didn't give Sue, her good friend, the opportunity to actually help. If Barbara had shared, I love that you did this, it's perfect. If Barbara had shared in the situation with Sue what was going on, and then Sue had been able to spend the next time with her, encouraging her, blessing her, hugging her, what would Sue have felt like later? It would have been a blessing, because you would have got that the gift. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Okay. Um, where am I? Okay, if it's our past issues, um, if we don't share what's happened in the past, we allow other people to continue to feel, I'm the only one who's ever done, blah, blah, blah. Okay, rather than going, oh, man, I'm, not, I'm like everybody else and I can get better too. We rob others of the benefit from what we've learned. You, most of us are smart enough that when we mess up and we blow it and we get hurt and we have to fix it, we actually learn something. So it might be that what I've learned would be exactly what you need to hear from me, but you wouldn't even know to ask me if I hadn't told you I had that same problem. And we missed the opportunity to really bless the people and have them feel our support. You know, when uh, there's our support because we know what they're going through. If you're in a bad situation, sometimes the person who has the most meaningful contact with is the person who's been there. Like if someone has, for example, lost a child, I can say helpful things if I'm slow enough to think about it and wise, but it's never the same as the person who's been there. You get me. So we don't give people that opportunity. Okay. I'd like to, when I think about sharing past failures, I have what I call my, some I've told you some of this, my failure treasure chest. And my, I always do it like this. And in my failure treasure chest, there's different categories. There's my failures as a wife, which you could hear a whole lot from since Doug and I'll be married almost 49 years in a month or two. <laughs> uh, but I can share those failures with someone who's struggling in their marriage now and particularly when it comes from 48 years of marriage, three kids, five grandkids, and, and three great-grandkids, and being a PhD in psychology who used, who's done marriage counseling. So when I say, I did this bad thing to Doug, and it really hurt him, when I'm talking with someone who's just feeling guilty and shame because they've done something bad in their marriage, that makes a difference. You're not the only one. If I can do it, you do it, we all do it, now what are we going to do about it now? Or another example, uh, I, I've shared with this, I've done a sermon on this, being pre a pregnant 16-year-old teenager. And at the same time, a juvenile delinquent. More to the court legally defined a juvenile delinquent. That was my story when I was 16. So if your child was struggling, and I tell you my story, and then... I, I don't mean to say this pridefully, but when you look at me today, it says your child is not doomed to failure for the rest of your, her, the, his or her life. Your child might be, you know, got arrested for drinking yesterday. Well, I've done that too when I was a teenager. So being able to say it can happen, it, it's not good. I'm sorry you have to deal with that now with your child, but it's not terminal. <laughs> They can move on, and let's figure out how to help them. So each, I have all these categories. As a therapist, I can tell a, a new therapist something I really did badly with one of my clients. And uh, 
Another thing I've really noticed, I have this one particular client story where they asked me to do something in the next session that was meaningful to them. I forgot to do it. I didn't come prepared to do it. I had to confess to them I didn't do it, which was the thing I did right. And their series of things that they dealt with, first they're furious at me, then they start apologizing for not reminding me because that was a thing from the past and her mother she would have to do. Even though it was the mother's fault, she would have to be the bad one. And then, so she's trying to make me feel okay. And then she got furious at me, and like really angry. And then at the end, she starts crying because she finally went through the anger she could never feel with her own mother and the grief that this was what her, her life was like with her mother. If I'd done it right, we'd have had this nice little experience together. But because I blew it, she had this amazing hour of healing that I would have never figured out how to do just by thinking about being a therapist. So we'll ne you'll never know what good thing you can do by sharing your past, past experiences. And I would just want to encourage you that some of the, the meaning that you get from doing those things makes the pain, doesn't make it less, but you get to live in the redemption stage of it for much more years than in whatever happened. So also, so let's move on here. Paul's next verse I want to read to you is, how can we create a community for us imperfect people to do this better? So we're going to look at some, some steps. But Paul says, we do not want you to be an uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. So here's the Apostle Paul. He can do miracles. <laughs> he can do all. He, he, knew, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus in this amazing thing. He's this awesome, great guy. Has every reason to never doubt the Lord and never feel bad. But he's saying, I despaired of life. So if the Apostle Paul can despair of life, so can I if I'm in a tough situation and not feel guilty about it. So when we share our weaknesses, we learn, we're modeling being open. If you've never heard anybody do it, then you'd say, I'm crazy to do this. But here the Apostle Paul is sharing his weaknesses. So every time we share a weakness, we then contribute to our community to be that way. We can't, I can't make any of you share things. But when I share, then it gives you a model of that, and it also blesses you in some way, I'd hope. And we can also learn, okay, sorry, I keep going. We can also learn to have compassion for ourselves as we share in our companionship. Okay, I, I'm, I'm messed up here and you're messed up here. Okay. So our goal is to create this community that diffi our difficult situations become a blessing. But I want to talk a few minutes about shame before I go into some more specific ex uh, suggestions of how to do this. Unfortunately, in our culture, uh, we have several different kinds of shame. We have what I call healthy shame, and we have what I call toxic shame. Healthy shame is a gift from God. Because if we did not have shame in our community, how, what would everybody be like? We would all be sociopathic narcissists because we would have no sense or care how my behavior affects you. So shame is a 
an emotion or an experience that God actually created for us to have so that we would not just care nothing at all the fact I just stole your money or ran into your car or, or hit your kid. So healthy shame is really important. But the characteristics of healthy shame are not what we see in our culture. It's first short-lived. I do something, I realize I go, oh, no, that's not what I'm supposed to do, and I turn away from it. Or I, maybe I've told my child something that they did wrong, and they feel bad for a few minutes. But then we move on to what they can do next and that they're loved. Uh, it guides, so it guides us back to the right path. You know, so we step off the path of being who we're supposed to be, we feel the shame, and then we step back onto the path of who we're supposed to be. Uh, it's also behavior-focused. I feel shame because I did this thing. You know, I was having an argument with Doug, and I got really mad, and I said a not very nice word and walked out of the room. That is not how I want to be with my husband. So as I walk away, I start feeling, oh my gosh, why did I do that? That was my fault. And then I go back and apologize, and we reconcile. We still have those situations. They happen much less frequently, and we apologize faster than 20 years ago. 20 years ago, it really was his fault, you know, <laughs> in, in my head, in my head, you know. But, you know, we still do these things, okay? And the focus, once again, oops, sorry. Yeah, there it is, is um, what you did was bad, not you're bad. You know, that whole phrase of going, bad boy or bad girl. You know, that's the way, well, I was parented that way. That's what we were told to do. We had to suppress the behavior no matter what it comes. But shame only suppresses the behavior. It does not, toxic shame, it does not change things. We'll get back to that. I jumped ahead there. Okay. I missed something there. Okay, yeah, I just want to mention toxic shame when we say that bad stuff. The child or the person you're with may change their behavior when you are around so they don't get those messages. But it doesn't change their heart to become the person that God wants them to be. It only interferes the same way. We, we can get people to behave based on fear and based on shame, but they're only externally doing it. And they're not receiving the blessing for it, and they're, not, they're resenting you at some level, and God is not impressed with that kind of behavior. Okay. So what can we do to convey our acceptance, to convey a better sense of we hear you, we understand you, and we want to know more about what's going on in your life. Okay. And here, I love this passage from Paul. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, and live in harmony one with another. Now, if, if that was just all we did, I mean, we had that down pat. Isn't it fun to tell somebody a great story and they laugh with you, or they, oh, man, that's so cool. Great, tell me more about it. You know, the joy that happens there. We want to create more and more of that. Okay. So th I'm going to talk about three different areas of how we can bless people. The first is the gift of presence. Sometimes we underestimate how important it is just to be there. Um, it sends a mess, like say something's happening and somebody comes to your house to talk to you about it. 
or they meet you for coffee, or they're just you know sitting sitting down in the in the in the lounge talking after service is over. It says you are worth my time. I care enough to be here. I value you. So don't underestimate just being there. You, I had some friends who went on a mission trip to Africa. They were arborists, and they were going to help them help learn how to grow these trees that were going to make their, their living. And she said, you know, we told them all this stuff, but the most important thing to them was that we were there. We came all the way from the United States to be with them. I don't think we'd have had to tell them anything. <laughs> so don't underestimate that. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell a quick story about that. Um, we had a good friend and his wife that we met in our, when Doug, the town Doug and I first lived in. And after we moved away and they moved away, a few years later, she had an accident hiking and was killed. Doug got on the airplane and flew to be with him and was there for a week. He still remembers that and mentions it whenever we see them. So I don't know what Doug said, but that wasn't what he mentions. He mentions you came. Okay. The next is empathy. So the first part, we're there. The second part, we're listening, hearing with our heart and with our ears and with our brain and understanding the situation from the other person's perspective. What are they really saying? What are their body language, their face, their tone of voice? What is all that conveying about how they're feeling and dealing with the situation? We're staying out of judgments. We're not telling them anything. We're recognizing their emotions. You know, they're sad, they're angry, they're afraid, whatever it is. And we're hearing what they're saying their needs and their concerns are. We're just so, so far in empathy, it's still inside me. I'm getting them. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the big picture and putting it all together. Then the third thing is emotional attunement. Now that I've come, that I've heard and listened and understood, I'm going to communicate those things to them. I understand what you're saying. I get it, and I'm with you. Okay, so that language is works like just listening to them, okay, and then repeating or summarizing what they've said. I get that really scares you. Oh, man, you must be ticked off about that one. Or tell me more about what it is that you're feeling about this. You know, so we ask some open questions. Tell me more about that. Or I'm not sure I understand what you're saying about this. So we're just being open listeners. And um, reflecting back to them what we do here. And there's a, I read this book about immigrants, children who lived in, who were born in one country and lived in another one. For some reason, they were talking about how important it was for people to understand them, how that was difficult. They didn't feel like they belonged anywhere. And the author said, there's two things that someone needs when something scary, bad, or upsetting happens. They need to be heard and have people attune with them, I get you. And they need encouragement that it's not going to be horrible forever. However, if you do them in the wrong order and give encouragement first, it feels like the, to the person that they're being kind of, oh, it's okay. And that the more intense the loss, the more of the attunement a person needs. 
if somebody ran into their new car and, and smashed the bumper, you'd say, wow, that's tough. You've been waiting forever to get that car, haven't you? Good. That would be the attunement. Good thing you have insurance. That would be the encouragement. And you could say it just like that. But if you're talking about someone who's lost a child or someone that has had a, some other kind of horrible diagnosis of cancer, they need a much longer and more detailed and more engaged attunement first. And then later on, you talk about, well, tell me about your doctor. Is, you know, it sounds like you've got a good, a good doctor if you're talking about cancer. So the worse, the harder the trauma, the more attunement they need before they get the encouragement. When the encouragement's given first, oh, I was just diagnosed with breast cancer. Well, it's good you've got a good doctor. That's not how it works. Does that make sense? Okay, so then we're talking about when you do talk with people, what are some of the things not to say? And, okay, okay, this is the summary. Really listen to what they say and what it means to them. Reflect back to them what you're hearing and express your support from them. So then what not to do? And you remember Rob Fryer told us a book about Dave Furman. So this comes from his book. When he was preaching a few weeks ago, I thought, he's telling my, he's doing my lesson. <laughs> okay, so things not to do. Don't be the fix-it person. Oh, I'll take care of that for you. Oh, it's no big deal. Here's what you can do. It'll be fine. Don't compare to somebody else. Oh, I know someone else who had that happen, and they got well. They were just fine. It'll be okay. Or what, they ha what happened to them was so much worse than what happened to you that you'll be fine. Okay? Don't make it their identity. If for something bad happened to them, they're, now they're the person that was a sexual abuse victim every time you talk to them about it or something. Don't promise them it'll get better now. Things don't get better now. It makes us feel better to say that. And don't move to encourage them to just move on and get paid. Don't, don't, okay, just go on. You just forget about it. It'll be fine. I actually know that my, uh, my father's daughter, our daughter, sister, who was a year older than him, died when she was 10 and he was nine. And then he had multiple other siblings. Two of those siblings, my aunts, had very difficult crying times on the last few months of their own lives about their sister that they had lost. It would have been 60, 70 years ago at that time. They were old because no one would let them talk about it. That was the culture then. You just don't talk about it and they'll forget about it. So we don't say move on. Uh, don't bring on the inquisition and, and overwhelm them with questions. Well, tell me about this. Tell me about that. Where's the doctor? Where's the hospital? What are you going to do? What kind of chemo treatment? You know, don't do that. Um, don't be hyper spiritual. Make it all. God will take care of everything. Don't worry about it. Be, you'll be fine. Da da da. And even if you do die, you'll go to hell and heaven. <laughs> People say things like that, believe it or not. Don't try to avoid them because it makes you more comfortable. Don't offer just general, let me know if there's anything I can do. When Rob was talking about that, the book says, give specific things. Can I bring a meal? Can I drive you somewhere? Let me know if, if uh, you need childcare for your daughter while you go to the hospital, doctor's office. And don't condemn them. What did you do to make this happen? That's not all that unusual. Okay. So what does Jesus want each of us to take away from these thoughts? Each of us, it's a different story. It's not, he doesn't want the same exact thing. So I'd like you just to kind of quiet yourself a little bit. And we're going to turn our brain toward Jesus for a minute. And uh, just first thing to do is I want you to think of something he's done for you recently in the last 
few weeks or even in the past and just close your eyes and thank him for it. Lord, I thank you that you have done this for me for my whole life or something new recently. And just tell him you appreciate it. And then ask him, how does he see or what ways might he see you becoming even more of a blessing in this community by just who you are and what you bring? He made you with the gifts that you have and with the experiences that you've gone through and the healing you've had. And let's not let any of that go to waste. 